Buddy, welcome to the UK Packers podcast. As usual, I'm your host at Steve Diddy NFL on Twitter, and of course, follow the group at UK Packers. And I was gonna do this whole thing about you know, it's that I don't know if you lads watch like um, that celebrity in the jungle thing where they always come back from a from a trial and they go, "Well, how many stars did you get? Oh, only got two, and then pretend nothing happened, but so much happened. Uh, and pre-production was fiery as hell because we're all throwing in opinions and. Uh, given her two cents but this must be one of the most hotly anticipated podcasts ever it was one of those shell shock moments i think for all packer fans where the draft happened so much weird stuff happened so much stuff happened it's like and all of this my bugbear of mine is how should we feel about this but i have two of the best men on the podcast to sort of let you know how they feel about it and of course don't listen to anybody else about how we should feel uh, but anyway here we go at it hedgehog peter jones at pooley shrew andy davies the two of you boys uh, gave a great draft guide, some brilliant coverage up during and after, but I have you on the podcast to get the definitive word. Lads, how are you getting on? Steve, I'm, I'm okay. I didn't think we'd have much to talk about tonight, but um, <laughs> uh, I'm doing good. <laughs> there you go. You see, I knew one of us would say it. I knew one of us would sort of be like, well, you know, nonchalant. I think that's how we introduced <laughs> each other, Peter. And we were like, well, we'll just call it a day and not bother doing it. Dear Jesus Christ, I mean, we've had people uh, message us into UK Packers, at UK Packers and all social media platforms, um, about, you know, what we thought of this draft. Uh, I've got many opinions, many fiery opinions, um, and there's an awful lot to dissect in it. And this could literally be a seven-part podcast. Um, but, and, and again, I'm not going to do this thing really about, dra- like, give a draft grade and all this type of stuff, because this one seemed a bit weird. Let me um, hit you, Peter, straight off the bat. Um, with some things and feel free to meander as you will um was this draft different because they don't expect the nfl to be played next year did that have any part do you think in how this panned out i i I would doubt it i i i think that nothing to base this on but i i think they've probably got a good feel that that it's um likely to take place uh, I, I don't know what what percentage that is i think i think the college season's probably in more doubt than the nfl season yeah. just because of the nature of college campuses and and stuff like that but i i would i would doubt it because i just think that that would just throw a, a huge a huge question mark over over somebody's draft and i think they to a degree i think they they have to deal in the here and now yeah Andy, why was this uh, draft different for you? I mean, I, th- I guess the answer is probably obvious, but I mean, what sort of what's your overarching um, opinion on this draft after having a couple of days? Well, I say a couple of days since the the first round to kind of digest it, if you will, if that's possible as of yet. What's the last line on the intro, Steve? It's a lot of fun. Keep it fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no swear words, Andy. Right? Tell us how you really feel. Yeah, that was that was wearing thin by day three. I yeah. don't know. Maybe it's more polarised because it was live and you, we were sat in front of the TVs sort of capturing it all for, for three days solid and, and watching everybody's front room as we went along to the journey. Maybe it was a bit different. But um, yeah, there was a lot of a lot of words, wasn't there? a lot of scratching of heads, yeah. um, frustration, a lot of amused people. Puzzling, um, disappointment in quarters that you could uh, you could call that. Um, but yeah, um, the, the one thing I don't understand is that the is the criticism aimed towards the players that we've drafted, particularly when not one of them's played it down for the Green Bay Packers yet. So I, I never understand that. For all that I think there was um, 
the performance of the GM can be scrutinised and analysed, but the performance of the players, we can't we can't really look at that yet, can we? So that's always a bit of a mystery to me. And I, yeah, and I, and, I, and I feel exactly the same way same way about it, guys. I mean, I yeah, some of the adjectives that that Andy's used there, I've got. I've got written down on a bit of paper in front of me. Surprised, flummoxed, bemused, excited, confused, and and, and all combinations of the above. Um, it almost felt like watching three days of the Eurovision Song Contest, not knowing what on <laughs> earth was going to appear on the t- on, your, on your television. Yeah, next, that happens. You know? Yeah, that happens. <laughs> I, I tell you, popping up with nil point. <laughs> nil point. Yeah. Oh, yeah, especially from all the experts. But lads, look, there's so much yeah. overarching stuff with this draft, and so much stuff that's been coming into the group, and also me personally that's kind of annoyed me. A couple of narratives, uh, and and instead of just sort of blowing all the opinion um, out of the water, is it's to sort of maybe go through and, and pick apart some of the picks. To me. This, and again, right, I was positive enough on my personal Twitter and there was times where just uh, the outlandish statements, the over-emotive whinging, the super moaners out there, the haters, as you said, the people that add the players and call them trash to their face and, and that it's a bad pick and go F yourself and all this type of stuff. You wouldn't believe how uh, vitriolic uh, this stuff got. Um, it's just a heinous side of the fan base. And I, again, I think there's an, there was an overarching narrative um, that we needed a wide receiver, right? That was the thing. And then it, that was kind of stoked as well. Now, be it um, Fergie mind game thing of Gudekun saying that he was going to be aggressive, going after who he wanted and all of this type of stuff. I think, and I've again, as you said, Peter, nothing to base this off. I think what he was talking about was Justin Jefferson. I think it was in the Packers' plan to go after a wide receiver in round one. And because of the way the board fell, it didn't work out for them. They ended up trading up and taking Jordan Love. Um, now I would love both of love, yay! I would love both of your opinions um, on Jordan Love, but I guess the overarching thing for me, and I can get into it a little bit later, so that I'm not talking for 15 minutes ad nauseum. I think that once the wide receiver, I think he probably rated maybe four of those guys, and then for some reason, be it be it a flaw or not a flaw, he rates his own receiver room more highly than the fan base do. Not forgetting that, because people seem to forget as well, lads, I don't know if you noticed that Devontae Adams is there. You know, like, we go on as if we don't have anybody at wide receiver. Oh, he needs weapons. Well, he has one. And he had Alan Lazard. He has some of the young lads. He has Devin Funches, whatever people think about him. Now, other stuff in the draft aren't really weird. But this Jordan Love pick, to me, it feels like he thinks that he is the next guy up, right? Now, Matt LaFleur has come out and said... Uh, that Aaron Rodgers can stay. You can st- stay for as long as you like. You know what I mean? St- stick around, take the shoes off, fall, a- <laughs> fall apart in my backyard. Right? He thinks all of these things publicly. Now, I think some of that is, and I'll stop talking two seconds and we can get into a little bit more later again, but it feels like he's saying these things, I think, because they've picked somebody who's uh, who's going to go up toe-to-toe with Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, he's not going to lose his job for the next couple of years with the salary cap and the you know the level of play that Aaron Rodgers has and everything else. But it seems to me that the only reason that you would do this would be if you thought that this guy... And again, there was a professional scouting report that came out allegedly and said that his playing style is like Aaron Rodgers. Take that with a pinch of salt. But if he thinks he's the next guy up, me personally, I cannot blame the the organization for going after that guy in the first round and sitting in behind Aaron Rodgers maybe you reevaluate three or four years down the line because there's, there's another BS article saying that he has to play after two years which is complete hogwash right I don't believe that but he's the next guy up do we have a problem with them taking Jordan Love in the first round if that's the case would you not mortgage a franchise on a guy that you thought was the next man I I I have no problem with it at all Steve I I but to, to to me, it's it's quite it's quite straightforward. Um, you have a, a, a 
a 15-year starting quarterback who's 36, 37 years old. Let's let's put to one side the name because we all get caught up in Taron Rogers. It's Tom Brady. It's whoever. It doesn't matter. Guys, 37 years old. Best part of 37 years old. If they're sitting there and the guy that they think that they think is the future quarterback of this franchise for the next 12, 15 years, if if we're lucky, then if they've rated him that highly, then I believe you have no choice but to take him. And um, yes, that kind of throws other things out. You you might have wanted a wide receiver or a, even a you know defensive lineman or inside linebacker. But if that guy is there, because they don't come along very often, yeah, you know, and, and we're spoiled with Favre followed by Rogers. But go back before Favre, guys, because because we all remember. Don Mikowski and Randy Wright and I don't know who else quarterback in Jim Zorn and guys quarterback in the Packers, Lynn Dickey when he, when he was about 50 years old and couldn't move. We <laughs> remember all of those guys. Hmm. And, you know, when, when those franchise quarterbacks come along, I think you have to take them. Now, we none of us know, none of us know sitting here today whether he'll be with the Packers for two years and turn out to be a complete flop. If that's the case... That's not a fault in the drafting process. That's a fault in the scouting process or potentially the development of the player over the next two years. But the logic of taking your next franchise quarterback, if that's who they believe he is, absolutely very logically sound move. And, you know, we going into this, going into this draft, there is so much good about about love to like or love to love that that yes you know we 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 accepted and you can see lots of flaws and 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 it is almost i called it high risk high reward but actually what i think in this instance doesn't matter it's if they think that's the guy that the logic is absolutely sound to take him yeah i mean i mean qb was the last position group that that i you know looked at based on the fact that it was probably a year early for me but i said to you guys straight away didn't i that the only person i would draft is love yeah and I thought he would be available at the end of round one and it would be a difficult decision to make. And, and so it proved to be. Um, if you have a QB there that you think is going to be the franchise QB for the next 10 to 15 years and you have an opportunity to take him at pick, you know, whatever it was we ended up taking him, then you, you do it, don't you? Um, so I have no problem with that. I'm excited by um, the player. I think he's he's got some real potential and I think he potentially could do it. I hope he comes in and... I hope he's lights out. I hope he inspires number 12. I hope he's a, a serious competition. Um, I hope he plays well. If, if preseason goes ahead, I hope he plays well. Uh, and I don't see an issue with that. I wasn't a lover of the um, the trade-up because I thought the fourth round pick was important. So I didn't like that side of it. Um, but to go back to your point around the, <clears throat> the wide receivers, um, we absolutely need a wide receiver. You talk about Adams, but take away Adams from our wide receiver corps and... Um, it's not so sexy on paper, is it? So no. um, I think we clearly need a wide receiver still, despite the, the collection of three foot, six foot three guys that we have. Um, yeah, I definitely think that's the case. And I think we, we missed out there. If you added a wide receiver to the, the entire collection of the draft that we've got, people wouldn't be so uptight. If you put a, a wide receiver in at two or three and, and picked up one that's... of those names, people wouldn't be so angsty if you like we just didn't make it happen did we yeah so. i think i think that i think i think that's such that's such a good point and 
you know that giving away that fourth round draft pick was an ideal and 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 giving away that fourth round draft pick coupled with taking a position that you almost didn't expect to take you didn't expect to be able to take love at that position that then drove the way that the rest of the draft started to pan out and and we I know we're going to get there but I think one of the things that they weren't then is they weren't aggressive after that first pick in terms of getting either up further up yeah. in, in the second round or using one of next round next year's picks to get <coughs> it high into that into that second yeah. round and that's kind of where it started to I won't yeah. say fall apart because that's unfair um, but it started not to work out as perhaps it could pan out as perhaps it could have done and as Andy's just said and that's a fantastic point if they'd if you'd thrown in a I don't know a T Higgins or a a LaVisca Chenault who came out very early in the second round if you'd thrown that that guy's name into the mix of the draft that you had suddenly it looks completely different it's a bit like Steve the analogy I was I was sort of thinking pre-draft with you guys was that if you go to Aldi and there's lots of other supermarkets available out in the market, guys, as well, you've got £50 in your ass pocket and you've got a list with Bill Gegg's bread beer on it. And you go in there and you go down the middle aisle and you spend 30 quid on a spa. It's a bloody great item, but it's luxury, isn't it? And that's a bit like you've got with you know, with the QB, isn't it? Then you go further down and you spend £10 on a paddling pool because the weather forecast is nice. And that's a bit like with the with the running back, isn't it? And you've got seven pound that you you spend on the on the bargain bucket or whatever that was that nobody else wanted, and there's your tight end. And then you've got three pound left for a few basics, and that's what you ended up with day three. <laughs> yeah. But you didn't get what was on your list in the first place. That's the problem. I, that's the problem I have with it. That you've gone in there with a complete shopping list of D line, offensive tackle, and wide receiver, most keenly, um, and we didn't get the things on the list. That, yeah. That's the problem. Now that that'll. I'll agree with that, Andy, for sure. Like, I think what ended up happening was is that he, and again, I came up with a pre-prod uh, phrase that I won't, <laughs> I won't, I won't commit to uh, when we're recording. But yeah, uh, he went early when it came to that. I think what happened was is that the draft kind of got away from Gudekunst in the sense that he went QB. Like, and, and the thing is, and what sort of strikes me about this as well, and, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, he says that he picked the best player available and then he got criticised because he moved up, right? Now, I've no problem with that because the way I see it is, is if he honestly thinks... My point is, and this is what I'll say to the listeners, right? Let's cast our minds back and let's all get in the DeLorean and go back to 2005. I want one of the listeners to tell me what the need the Packers had in the first round in 2005 that they didn't do because they got Aaron Rodgers. Right, whoever tells me that, if you can remember, which you probably can't, but if you want to go back and do some research and all that type of stuff, or if you have one of those fantastic memories like you, lads, and you just can remember, now I want you to tell me, okay, so they had a need, say, D-line. So they had a need for D-line. If you were to go back and do it again, would you pick that D-lineman or would you pick Aaron Rodgers again? Yeah, you'd pick Aaron Rodgers again. Of course you would. So that's the same as Jordan Love here. We need a wide receiver. There's no doubt, right? We need to give Aaron Rodgers help and all of that type of stuff. But then I pulled that into question. Because what I tell you, what I say is, is that if you look at Matt LaFleur's offense and you look at how the offense went last year, and again, it's kind of, it's chicken and egg stuff when it comes to, uh, if you look at Aaron Rodgers' stats and they take a bit of a nosedive, what's that P from 2016 or whatever onwards or 2015 or even earlier, um, they start to sort of come down a little bit and then people are saying, oh, that's because he doesn't have wide receivers. And then you have other people saying, no, that's because he's declining because he's getting old, right? If you look at the Matt LaFleur offense, he ran that through Aaron Jones without a doubt. We were lucky that Jones stayed healthy, but he ended the season on 16 touchdowns. To put that into perspective, Christian McCaffrey ended the season on 15 touchdowns. That's one less. Now, I'm not saying that Aaron Jones and Christian McCaffrey have the same importance in the teams that they play. They don't. It all runs through Christian McCaffrey on his team, and that's why he got paid a ridiculous amount of money. What was it, $64 million over four years? 
Now, what I will say is, and I know we're going to get to AJ Dillon, but kind of to keep it on Jordan Love, what I understand about the next pick is, is it seems like we're drafting not for the best position available, but the best position available that fits our offense. And that can be a massive mistake. And that's what's really pissed people off about this draft too, is that that seems what we've done. And it's no more obvious than the really baffling pick in the third round, which I know we're going to get to as well. But when it comes to Jordan Love, I sort of think that... um, you know, to pick him if you think he's the future of the franchise makes makes perfect sense. And I'll finish my point here is people focus on the fact that he's a first round pick and that we blew it and that we didn't get a wide receiver and that we screwed the team and all this type of stuff, right? That may be so. I'm not saying Jordan Love is the future. That's, as you said, Peter, that's what they believe. But let me ask this question. It's the first round It's super important, right? Let's look at the first round picks from the Packers and how they've picked and how busts they were or how non-important they were or how they were okay and then look at how that's scuppered the team and shown that the team doesn't give a shit about the future, right? So let's have a look. Rashan Gary, unproven, right? We can't really say a whole lot about him. He didn't do a whole lot in his first year, which means that if you've got a wide receiver, that could also be the same. I'll cast minds back to Devontae Adams. Let's move on. Good pick in Jerry Alexander. Good pick in Kenny Clark. Demarius Randall. In 2015, right? You can argue played out a position. He had a stinking attitude, fell out with coaches, but still bust for me, right? Ha-ha Clinton Dix was great, has showed some great moments, but absolutely down the swanee then after that. Dayton Jones, Dayton who? Like a massive disappointment, never lived up to expectation. Nick Perry, 2012, had arguably one really good year, then he went out the door, and you could keep on going back. But what I would say is, is the first round that important? We've seen first rounds fall flat on their arse before, at the same time, so Jordan Love, if if the, if you look at the likes of Dayton Jones, he was never going to be the player that dominated and would, you know, you would build your whole team around. Jordan Love might be that player. He also might not. But the thing is, if you take the chance that he could be the future of this franchise, that carry this into the future, well then happy days. And I know I said the last one, but this is my very last one. And this came from someone who isn't even a Packers fan. And, he's, and he supports a team that have a really bad uh, reputation at quarterback. And he said, the problem with Packers fans is, is that you have been so good at quarterback for so long, you almost take for granted how important the position is and that you've had Brett Favre, you went to Aaron Rodgers and you don't see how devastating it is when you don't have it. Now, I would proffer when Aaron Rodgers went down, we got a big taste of what it's like without a good quarterback. I can't imagine the 80s and all of this stuff of what G-Lads went through to not have your quarterback and just see how important it is then. And I think... We cannot underestimate how important that pick could be. It could be pants, but also it could be absolutely fantastic. But I think from that pick, that dictated how the rest of the draft went. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely did. And, and and it's the right question to ask about first round a first-round draft pick generally, or any draft pick generally. Um, you know, the, the percentage, the number that suddenly pan out as the next Hall of Famer at whichever position it is in their first year is pretty small. Yeah, um, it's very small. I mean, we don't have numbers in front of us, but uh, you've just named some of the guys, and we can go. You can keep going back in in in, in Packer in Packer history. You know, through the nineties, through the two thousands, through the Jamal Reynolds of this world, and and um, I don't know who else they took in the first round. Antoine, Justin Harrell, just just Justin Harrell, and then back into the eighties, the Brent Fullwoods, and giving away first round picks for Mossy Cade, and 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 all and all of that stuff. And I think an expectation that even if you draft, let's say they drafted the most surefire first-round pick you could you could ever imagine, Tony Mankovic, ex- <laughs> <Tony Mankovich. laughs> right. an, an expectation that that guy is going to come in 
and and you know you're absolutely absolutely certain that he's the guy that's going to take you over you know to the to the mountain top is just history doesn't bear that up it just does it just doesn't i mean you know i'm old enough to remember probably the most surefire number one quarterback coming out in my lifetime was vinnie testaverde now the guy ended up having a decent 19 year nfl career but he was never the guy that he was in college yeah and yet you know he was he was the guy he was the guy that was going to take tampa bay to the super bowl for the first time just didn't happen and there's and and history's littered with all of that with all of those guys and you wrote an excellent article, Steve, for the for the draft preview about how the wide receiver position doesn't pan out and how actually there's so much more value in the second round and the third round. And recent Packer history has shown that. Yeah. You know, Devontae Adams, Jordy Nelson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it's never a, it's never a surefire thing. And, and, like, and like we've said, once they've made that decision that that's the guy, it then determined what happened in the rest of the draft to a to a huge degree, particularly giving up that fourth round pick. For me, and I, and I put this out on on the forum and got some positives and some not not so positives about it. And I really just threw it out there. I would strongly have considered giving up next year's first round pick to get it, to get into the top of the second round and get one of those wide receivers, yeah. you know, a Higgins or a Chenault or one of one of those guys that was there. Absolutely. Now, for all we know, and we don't know, nothing's come out about it, and it normally does, but for all we know, they may have tried. I, I, I suspect not, because normally that stuff leaks. Um, but, they may, but they may have tried, but that's absolutely the route that, that, I, that I personally would have tried to go down. Yeah, and Andy, we saw that, right, where, and again, I agree that we need more wide receivers. I'm not saying, for an instance, we have Devontae Adams or straight, right? I'm not saying that. We, we definitely needed help there. And all of this, and, but I, what I don't subscribe to is that people saying, oh, well, they got Jordan Love, they didn't get a wide receiver because they don't care about Aaron Rodgers anymore, they are put him on the trash and they're going to move on and all this type of stuff. And then also people saying they're not a win-now team. I think every team believes that, you know, rightly or wrongly, that they, they have the weapons. They didn't do that in the second round. Is AJ Dillon a head-scratcher for you? Is he too early for you? I mean, what was your emotions when that pick came through? Was it surprise followed by mass disappointment? <laughs> no, my, my disappointment lies in... Is, it's like you just described there, really. Is Gooty's faith in his wide receiver core yeah. is is my concern. His faith in the roster full stop concerns me. That's a bit that I that, that worries me. He puts too much faith. He was talking about it after the draft, and you know how he has great hopes for you know guys A, B, and C. And then we talked about last year was the same in, with Allison and Jimmy Graham, and and we saw how that panned out. And you know, big contract for Dean Lowry, and we've we've seen how that's sort of panned out and, and there's various elements of things that are going on on his own roster that, that makes me think he just puts too much faith in that and the better GMs tend to sort of move on a lot quicker for me so that's so that's that one the pick of AJ Dillon was um, I think running back was always going to be a position that we addressed I just thought it'd be further down probably towards day three he's not Darrington Evans um, but not many guys are Um <laughs> But I tell you what, though, out of the two guys at Indianapolis, he was the guy that most impressed me after after Evans. His, um, if you watch his drill work, if anyone wants to go back on YouTube and watch it, the guy is seriously impressive. Um, his RAS score is elite. Um, yeah. Out of the five running backs that I had down, he was he was one based on the RAS score particularly. He's a different kind of runner. He's a punishing runner. He's built for Wisconsin in the winter. Um, 
yeah, he's um, yeah, I like him. Um, he's probably something nearer to 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 peak Eddie Lacey when we have that. Yeah, if I'm going to describe him as nearest something, somebody who can get it in from a yard out. Um, and people scoff at that, Andy, don't they? But that's but, not yeah. to be scoffed at. Eddie Lacey was a but, was a weapon. All right, but if we could have done, if we could have done the one yard out thing, we'd have beat Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, and we'd have had home field advantage for the for the playoffs. Yeah. So actually, it's quite an important thing in the football, isn't it, to get it in from one yard out and not having to rely on your QB to to, to drop back and pass every time. So I, I was okay with the player. I really like the player, and pretty much through the draft, if we go through it, um, you'll you'll hear that a lot. Jordan Love got an A for me in terms of the, the player. Yeah. AJ Dillon would be a B plus. Um, but it's like you say, if he started a wide receiver in between those two, and then you went down the draft, we'd be uh, talking a lot more positively, I guess, as a whole. Yeah, Peter, how did he strike you? Again, is it something similar that the player is great? He's an impressive guy. Uh, Rouscore, as Andy says, absolutely through the roof. Uh, his highlight reel is just him murdering people. I don't know how he hasn't been arrested. Um, or well, did it? Is it too early? Did he sort of did Gudikuns get a bit jittery in this draft, and he, you know, it started to get worse as time went on? So, so I think that. In, a, in an ideal world, I would have seen AJ Dillon as a, as, a, as a third round pick. Yeah. All right, and and that's pretty much where where we where we graded him. Um, but when when you get to the point at, at sixty two, where if your other options are, are not there, so the wide receivers that you might have thought about have, have gone at that point, and, and and you've got your eye on this guy, then then again you're in that situation where is he going to be there at ninety four? Probably not. Um, so, 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 you know, you're either taking him there or, or, or you're not taking him at all. Mm. And I think that the thing about Dylan, I mean, if you look at, you know, the, the, the top running backs in, in this draft, you've, you know, the, the Jonathan Taylors, um, the guy that went in the first round, Clyde Edwards, Alaire, um, the JK Dobbins, those, those, those guys are a completely different back to what Dylan is. And and so that if again, you know, if they'd decided that Dylan was the type of back that they want, they wanted, you know, and he's been likened to to Derek Henry, that type of back. If that's the type of back that they wanted, Dylan was the only choice that they could make. Yeah. Uh, and you know, so so getting a a third round guy in the second round, it's not ideal. You know, it's not what you'd call true value, but it but it's not it's not the end of the world. Um. And and it's pretty clear, you know, they're sending. I don't like the term sending a message, but they're by picking him, they're sh- they're showing the type of offense that they're likely to be running in the future. Yeah, you know, they've picked a, they've picked a guy to fit the style of offense that Lafleur wants to wants to run, and I have no no problem with that. Which I tell you what, that was really that was one of the most intriguing parts for me because Gudikuns was asked last year, "How do you approach the draft? Do you talk with Matt and he has a certain scheme, and you try feed him the players that he needs to fit his scheme?" And Gudikuns said, "Oh no no no, that's not how we do it here. Uh, I get the best player available, and Matt and the coaches and Petten and all of that, they're good enough." to whatever player that I pick, they can slot them in. And if they're so versatile, blah, 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 blah. Right. But this, this whole draft to me seemed like he said to LaFleur, uh, honey, I head out and do you, do you need him? And he said, get me a galaxy and also get me a running back that, you know, and that's what it sounded like to me. It sounded like, and, and get me a surprise. That's what it sounded like to me, right? Is that an AJ? <laughs> a surprise for you. No receivers. <laughs> hey. So, oh, Jesus Christ. Well, oh, I, opening the Tesco uh, bag on. Really? Well, I, I, yeah, no, and that's true. No, I, I also think that, you know, this is Lafleur's Le, Le, second year. He'd hardly been there 
when they had the draft last year. And he wouldn't have been involved in, in any of the preparation up until the last two months of it or what have you. This year, he's, you know, he's 15 months or whatever it is into the, into the role. Yeah. He's had the opportunity to coach those players for a year and, and, and have the opportunity to see actually, you know what, the system that I'm comfortable running, not all of these guys fit that system. Yeah. Whether, whether he's right, whether he's wrong, whether that system's going to be more successful than previous systems is, you know, from, from a logical point of view at that point, he's neither here nor there. He has to have the players that he's comfortable with in the system that he wants to run. Else would have employed somebody else as the head coach. You know, it's got to be his system. So from that perspective, uh, it, it just it just makes sense. I don't like the value. Again, as I say, repeating myself, should have been a third rounder, but I think that's the way the board fell. Yeah, look, I think it's, it's one of those cases for me that with Jordan Love... Um, there was rumours that the Colts were moving up for him, that the Patriots were going to try to get in and get him. So he sort of went and said, no, screw this, right? I'll just get him now because I'll regret it otherwise, right? Which is a massive thing at the quarterback position because they're kind of thinking, I'm, 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 you know, pivoting my whole organisation for the next decade and a half. Potentially, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that's in his mind, I would imagine. Because otherwise, why would you do it? So with this pick for me, I think it's the same. I think this one, it was a knee-jerk kind of, as you said, he likely wasn't going to be there if they if they went wide receiver. He wouldn't have been still there. And I think that this is a quintessential Matt LaFleur pick. Like you said, he's been likened to Derrick Henry, which is like someone saying, like, oh, here's a quarterback. He's probably more like Joe Montana. You're like, whoa, you're kind of thinking, Jesus, let him get in first. But how promising is that, though, that Derrick well, Henry? Yeah, and can, can I just jump, jump in while I remember? So there's been lots of stuff today, you know, Twitter, uh, other social media platforms about this guy gives you nothing in the passing game. And we need, we need, to, st- we need to stop that con- conversation. Uh, there's a couple of things, right? This guy pass protects. So, so, as, so as, as a running back, he's the best pass blocking running back in this draft. And I have absolutely unequivoc- unequivocally can say that, in my view, at least. Yeah. Right. So, so that gives you something that, that you know, in today's NFL is, is, is essential. The second thing I would say is that the guy, yes, he didn't catch many balls in in college at Boston College, but heck, that's a team that only passed for 176 yards a game last year. They ran for 250 yards a game. You know, their leading receiver caught 29 passes. <laughs> so this is a team. This is a team that doesn't throw the ball very much. Yeah. So he's not going to catch many passes. Now, if you go as Andy did, go and watch his combine tape, and not just not just watch him running the 40 or doing the doing the, the you know the broad jump or whatever. Go and watch his workout with quarterbacks throwing him the ball, all kinds of different passes, swing passes, et cetera, et cetera. Excellent. He was absolutely excellent. Yeah, he ran the the routes he ran, it was very for a big guy, six one two fifty, for a big guy, very crisp in and out of those breaks, caught everything that was thrown his way, his hands looked excellent. I you know, to me, the whole thing about him not being, you know, a guy for the passing game, I just think is completely <clears throat> completely overblown. It's lazy, that's what it is. It's lazy analysis. Because he's a big guy and because he doesn't have the numbers, people haven't even watched the game. They just put it up there and say, oh, he's not a not a great pass catcher. What an absolute tosh. Yeah. It's, honestly, it really frustrates me. It does. But that's uh, but like do you know what? And speaking of that, uh, if we can nip this in the bud as well, the amount of um sort of uh, plastic analysts that are coming out and saying, oh yeah, you know this is a real signal to Aaron Rodgers. He's likely going to be traded to the Patriots this year. And you're like, oh yeah, cool. Okay, let's just ignore um let's let's ignore everything, but also let's ignore the salary cap and all this type of stuff. And then of course you've the same. 
I was going to say insulting stuff but anyway back to back to before I start going off on one and then having to bleep everything out though AJ Dillon for me I mean from looking at his highlights again you boys know about him from studying him in college I'm the sort of you know no interest really in college again I've sort of you know put my flag to the mast here but for him looking at his highlights when I saw him about a minute into his highlights dragging and I mean this literally five players into the end zone for a touchdown I was kind of thinking yeah happy days and as well as that to all of the people saying that running back is not a position of need. It is a position of need. I'm not saying it's more important than other positions. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, is that Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams' contracts are up next year. Aaron Jones, as I said in a tweet that I put out earlier, Christian McCaffrey ran for 1,387 yards, 15 touchdowns. Aaron Jones, uh, 1,084 and 16 touchdowns. Again, like I said, not comparing the two, saying that they're like for like players. But Aaron Jones is hyper-productive. Uh, he potentially has... Uh, an issue with with injuries in the sense that you know he's he's picked up a couple missed a couple of games um, and on top of that you never know who's going to be healthy and let me remind people as well Aaron Jones was number three on the depth chart after Ty Montgomery now people scoff now of course they would and that's right to do you'll scoff at Ty Montgomery oh well he was never a running back that was ridiculous but in McCarthy's head Ty Montgomery was number one at the converted wide receiver Jamal Williams who was drafted higher was number two people tried to debate whether that was the case because it's easy to sort of forget when you look back now and go oh well Aaron Jones was always there I don't think not for me anyway uh, and not per the depth chart on the official website. Number three was Aaron Jones. So then Aaron Jones only came in when the other two dudes got injured and it's the last year of his contract. Now, will he get paid? When you look at the likes of Kenny Clark needs to get money, uh, David Bakhtiari's contract, you look at Corey Lindsley, uh, Jamal Williams is, is coming up at the same time, uh, Kevin King. So when you look at all of those guys, is Aaron Jones going to get paid? Because Could this guy usurp Aaron Jones if he plays really well? Could they use the two of them to complement each other? Uh, and that's that's a question that I'd have as well, Andy, right? In your mind, is there any way that the wide receiver position for Matt LaFleur's offense is devalued by the sense that he's going to pound the ball first to open up uh, kind of like what Pete was saying about Boston College and how little that they actually passed the ball because that was the narrative last year, remember. Could it be that the wide receiver isn't as important as everybody thinks it is um, and he's going to go the run game? Now, that's not how you or I or Peter potentially would run this offense, but looking at Matt LaFleur's scheme, that's what's important for him. Well, clearly moving to a different scheme. He clearly wants that that uh, H back to work in the Delaney Walker role, or the Carl Jusek role, whatever you want to describe it as. The big backy Derrick Henry role that, that that he had in Tennessee. He's obviously what he's got an eye for 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 AJ Dillon. I think the person that's probably going to be most worried will be Jamal Williams, um, not not Aaron Jones. I think Aaron Jones will command a deal and will try and find a way if he has a season that he had. The parallels to last year then he's going to be in for some big books isn't he and if we yeah. can afford it we'll try and keep him so I think it'd be more in tandem as opposed to um, one or the other I don't think he's direct replacement I think they're going to look to to use him in tandem and I think particularly in short yardage situations the guy could be could be a useful tool this year I think the, the biggest person that probably didn't enjoy the draft would be uh, Dexter Williams because his time looks like it's probably uh, coming to a close <laughs> very short very short stop in terms of the wide receiver I, I, again I disagree I think you need um, you need six wide outs if you can get depth down to number five on game day that's going to threaten the defence then you take it um, I just still think there's probably a lot of time before week one and, and maybe as we look uh, look for a different avenue to try and to try and offer something different in that in that group yeah well Ash, Ash the cut tried to show Andy punked and uh, after that pick um, we went running back people were like oh Jesus Christ what's happening here but then tight end came in and uh, Peter I want to get your opinion on this guy but Andy did give uh, Josiah Degore a shout out on the offensive podcast Andy 
the fact that we went at him number three, I'd like to get your thoughts. But then after that, maybe talk about what kind of player he is and what type of a pickup that is for the Packers and how they'll use him. Well, well, first of all, we did give him a shout out, but I was thinking day three, I think he's a super reach. I think it was more a, a result of losing that fourth round pick. Yeah. I mean, that's what the worry was there, wasn't it? Because you're not picking again now till round five, you know, in in the late, you know, in the late rounds of, of Saturday. So I think they were, I think that's a Lafleur pick all over, isn't it? Um, he definitely wouldn't. Yeah, I think that's exactly there. I think there's a massive reach. Um, I think a lot of the guys who were watching the draft, even some of the sort of pack of beat writers, didn't even have a clue who he was. Yeah. You know, they couldn't even find bits to sort of write on him. Um, he came to our attention because he was speaking to the Packers, wasn't he? So Lafleur and the Cincinnati coach are, are friends, aren't they? Uh, he given him a glowing report, said what a great guy he was for the locker room, what a leader of men, um, was athletic, um, ideal size for the H-back kind of role. He's probably too too sort of small for the tight end role in line, I would guess. But in the H-back role, he'd be a, a good player in space. So um, the player is, is okay as a project. I'm okay with that. But I just thought he was taken way too early. Uh, and that's the bit where you point the finger at Gooty, isn't it, really, yeah, to me? Yeah. I, I just don't think that he was on anybody else's board. And particularly if you look at it, tight end specifically, there was a number of tight ends that were that were rated, you know, significantly higher than him that were still on the board. So even if somebody wanted a tight end, <clears throat> potentially the Troutmans and the, uh, ooh, you know, Harris of this world would have, Bryant's of this world would have would have uh, been there as an option. So yeah, the, 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 where he's picked him befuddles me. Um, the fact that we've picked him doesn't, you know, he's a project and, and yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. Peter, what are your thoughts on, on this player? Is it the same? Was it that sort of the loss of the fourth round pick that sort of made them knee jerk again? Yeah, so I think I think undoubtedly, you know, again, you know, you have to, as Andy's described, I I don't believe nothing to base this on, but but your gut feel of just, you know, your reading of 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 the draft and how drafts pan out um, historically on both this year, that you don't believe that he would be, would have been high on on anybody else's board. Um, we touched in in the pod, in one of the pods, the offensive pod, about how all of these tight ends were slightly different you know we, we saw we saw guys that were were great receivers but couldn't block we saw guys that were 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 fast but couldn't catch you know we saw we saw a whole there's a whole gamut of different tight ends so, so it's definitely all about again the specific that you're looking for there you know he, he almost shouldn't have been in the tight end group and we mentioned in the preview that that he had a shot at being a fullback because that's that's his kind of physical physical makeup so so they they clearly zeroed in on him because of the type of player that he is and, and Andy's described him perfectly you know he's that tight end in motion your H back the guy that's going to line up in the backfield sometimes the guy that you can probably line him up in the, in the slot and out wide on a, on a, on occasion um, but he's not big enough consistently to be your inline blocking tight end yeah and in fact you've got one of those in, in Mercedes Lewis so, you know, you've picked a guy to play, as Andy described, that Delaney Walker, Walker role that Lafleur had in Tennessee. You know, a guy that was catching consistently 60, 70, 80, 90 passes a season. You know, a thousand yard season he had from that position. So, again, it's very much about they picked a guy that fits the offense that Lafleur wants to run. Yeah, you saw a so, glimpse of it last year, didn't you, Peter, with Vitali? They tried yeah. for about two or three games to to integrate him into the system, didn't they? And it didn't quite work, did it? It was 
just to beat off here, just to beat off there. Yeah. And then they sort of, so, some of they shelved it and said, right, we need a, a round peg for that round hole and we'll, yeah, we'll get abs- back to it at some other time, you know? Absolutely. So, so, so the, the big issue is, is where he was taken. So as we've alluded mm-hmm. to, this, this loss of the fourth round pick meant that the decision they had to make was, do I think he's going to be there at ra- in round five? Because if that's the guy that I've zeroed in on, I think he's the ideal guy to play the system we want to run. Mm. Will he be there in round five? And if not, is there another guy that that we can call on? And if they didn't think there was, they're stuck in that with that with that decision. So I think it's all come about, as you've both said, about losing that fourth round pick. Now, again, the other way of looking at that is if they had somebody else of higher value at that in that third round position, then find a way to trade your way back into that fourth round, guys. And and if that means using next year's third round pick again, do it. Yeah. If that's the guy that you really want. But so I think I have no problem, absolutely no problem with the player. I just have a problem where it where it was taken, and, and almost and almost the lack of aggressiveness in, in in using future draft picks to get the guys that would have helped this year. Yeah, it's really odd. I mean, we get to round five before um, I think it was you, Peter, wasn't it, that said, well. You know, that's in around the money as to that's the value of that pick. That's where we kind of predicted uh, the linebacker to be placed. But you mentioned Danny Vitale and that was that was a head scratcher for me. Like when I look at it and I look at, uh, you know, six foot, 239 pound Danny Vitale and then six foot, two inch, 242 pound uh, Josiah DeGore. And they're very similar. And the fact that I know he's listed as a tight end. Um, but the fact that they're going to play him in that fullback role, and that's what we were—that's that, what all the hype was. If you remember um, last year, going into the season, it was like, "Oh, you won't believe how we're going to use the fullback here." And then it just—what what did Danny Vitali have? Like one pa- one catch for twelve yards or something ridiculous. Anyway, um, I never ended up panning out. But look, we didn't. Um, so that 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 was the first pick for me. I was like, "Gone, okay." That well, that's not funny because like the the quarterback and everyone freaking out. I was kind of like, "Well, you know, from ye lads and the draft guide and everything else, and from looking at." Um, his tape then after he was picked I was like okay well if they think that's the future of the franchise that's fine and then AJ Dillon I was like okay well if Aaron Jones is out the door if he's not then he's a good complimentary piece he looks like a guy he looks like a, a guy who you can say where he's in there we're gonna run the ball but also you know he's gonna run the ball but also you, there's nothing you can do about it and that I was fine with that one but when I got to this tight end I was like really if we're gonna play him as a fullback is that honestly and then we missed the fourth round then Andy, we hit on round five, Kamal Martin at linebacker. Um, you know, we lose Blake Martinez. People are giving out about the fact that he doesn't tackle, um, you know, where he should tackle his football IQ. Uh, again, he was a terribly nice guy. I won't go into too much about him. He's gone now. But Kamal Martin, is there any way that this guy comes in? Is he a day one starter and can he make an impact in the linebacker core? Yeah, um, I like him more than his scouting report. He's a, he's a violent hitter, that's for sure. Um, he won't be sort of pondering behind the line of scrummage. He he penetrates, and he and he attacks the line of scrummage with some serious violence when he's making contact. Um, the knock on him was that he wasn't great in space. Yeah. Um, he's quite stiff-hipped, but I but I watch him. He's quite he's quite athletic. Um, I, I, I don't know. I've probably watched about four games. Some of the bigger games that he played in, he looks better than what his scouting report says to me. Um, so potential, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, I'm okay with that pick. Fine, wasn't the reach. I had him about round five, so absolutely fine with that. Um, but yeah, Peter, impact player. Well, I, I think that um, 
so so he, so he carried an injury for most of 2019. So I think I think if you if you just look at his 2019 film and 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 then say he's actually slightly better probably than he showed in 2019. Yeah. Um, uh, because of that injury that he played through the whole the whole year pretty much. Um, yeah, I think he's I think he's a solid pick. He's absolutely value in round five. And had he not had the injury, he may have been a round four type player. So so absolute absolute value there. Andy's described him well. He likes to hit. He's not the greatest tackler in the world, but I, but it's possible that some of that's caused by the injury that he's that he's, that he's been carrying. Not great in space. Um, good size, six three two forty. Um, you know, it's just about the almost a prototypical size that you'd want for that inside backer. Um, so yeah, absolutely, very very com- very very comfortable with that pick. Comes into the mix with, you know, the guys that are all already there, the Kirkses, the Burks, um, Curtis Bolton, Ty Summers, who's really more of a special teams guy anyway. So he's so he's so he's right in that mix, and I think he, you know, he has an opportunity, and I think I think, I think this this one is a case of seeing how it play, how it plays back, plays out in camp. But yeah, solid solid pick. It's amazing that we get to round five and we're like, yeah, it's uncontroversial here. <laughs> we're kind of like, yeah, it kind of makes sense for everybody. Um, so again, we still haven't selected a wide receiver. We don't go on to select a wide receiver. And then a guy that you were quite high on, Andy, um, who was in a lot of your mock drafts coming into this process uh, was John Runyon Jr. People might know him from his dad. Um, so I'm guessing that you're high on this pick in round six, 192 overall. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Good bloodlines. Um, Fits the Packers mold, doesn't he, in terms of his flexibility, being able to play sort of guard tackle from the Big Ten, Big Twelve. Um, you know, you asked the question the other day, didn't you? The most, um, the obvious Green Bay Packer. Mm. Yeah, I, I was, I was kicking myself for not putting him forward because <laughs> he was your guy. Yeah. So yeah, I think he's good value where we got him. Uh, certainly the best of the uh, uh, the offensive linemen that we picked up. Yeah, solid dad. Yeah. And Peter, I mean, what are we looking at this guy for? Is this guy deemed, you know, especially with the fact that we... What's strange for him, Peter, is, is round six. Is that Would that be normal? Would that be sort of value on this guy? And as it comes to the Packers then, I mean, who is he looking to take over from on the line, do you reckon? Is there, you know, is, is Billy Turner's day is numbered now with this guy? Yeah, yeah well, it's, a, it's, an in, it's an interesting one because... Um, so it's about the right value again. Give or take a few picks, about the right value where 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 he went at 192. Um, you know, I think we had him just below the 200s, but you know, about the right place at that. So so no no issue with with that at all. Um, we love those those guys from from Michigan. Uh, it's the the 29th player the Packers have drafted from no from U from U of M, which is you know a lot. I think that's second only behind the University of Minnesota, where Kamal Martin came from. Um, but yeah, we love those. As Andy said, those those Big Ten linemen. I think the question really around Runyon is, yeah, is 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 six four three zero five three zero eight that kind of number, which it, it it sounds a bit odd when when you say he might be slightly undersized to be a full time tackle, and and that's why you know when he when he was drafted they you know. He was named as a as a guard. I think we have to see how that pans out. Um, so certainly, Gooty in his phone phone conference last night was talking about him as a tackle. Yeah. So they obviously see see that he's got an opportunity there at tackle. But um, I think you know it, it's he's got a double opportunity here. 
you know, because he, he's got the opportunity to, to make his mark, even if it's as a backup tackle and a backup guard, or he's got the opportunity to move inside permanently at, at, at guard. And again, you know, you mentioned Billy Turner's name. So we're not talking about a running or whatever coming in and starting this year. That's not what this is all about. Yeah. But you're building those guys and, you, and then you, you have a decision to make in a year or so's, year or so's time. So, yeah, excellent, excellent pick. Um, 8.37 Raz score. So he's an athletic guy for a, for a big guy. So, so there's, nothing, there's nothing not to like about, about that pick. Good value where they got him. Yeah, yeah, really like it. And they went nuts, Andy, uh, when it came to the sixth round. I mean, this, I love that scene, OGs, as well. I was like, oh, yeah, he's the real OG. I was kind of thinking it makes him sound so much cooler than they are. But they went Jay Canson uh, as a sender from Oregon. And then they um, triple-dipped with Simon uh, Stepaniak here in um, from Indiana in, in round six. Was this just pure weird to be taking a run on, on O-linemen? Have we got more O-linemen? We've more O-linemen than wide receivers now, right? I mean, are we going to ask somebody yeah. not to start catching balls? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, they're, they're obviously high on the, those two guys. When they've taken a bit of a punt, haven't they, with the second one? Um, Hanson's a strong guy. He's smart, which they like, don't they? They, yeah. they, they like that that intelligence at the, at the heart of the line of scrummage there. Um I didn't have a long list of interior offensive linemen. I like Tennessee, the centre there. Bredson that went earlier. A guy, Pinter, that went earlier. And Runyon, obviously, that we'd taken. Hanson was about six or seven on my list. And the only reason he dropped was he's a little bit leaden-footed. Is that the best way to describe it in terms of his movement in space? So that's the reason he dropped. Now, if we're changing to a a slightly different, more power-orientated offence, then he's a better fit, isn't he? But in the current guys, he he was just a little bit slow-footed for me. Um... The second guy, uh, he was impressive on the uh, the old bench press. So if we ever, you know, <laughs> yeah, if they ever yeah. bring about an NFL superstar, so we've got somebody <laughs> who can do the bench press. Um, yeah. But he's been injured. Um, I think it's an ACL, isn't it? So yeah. I think if he'd have played last season, he would have gone a lot higher. Um, it's a it's a punt, isn't it? By anyone's guess, I would uh, I'd imagine. So Anson, I can understand if we're changing scheme, and, and the second one, it really is a bit of a punt, I would guess. Yeah, yeah, and 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 uh, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable with both with both of both of these picks. I, th- I think you're absolutely right at this st- at this stage of the draft. There's, if there isn't a you know a guy in a so-called skill position that you're desperate to get, then then you know you you <laughs> no no harm in getting these types of guys. My only question is when you look at the roster as a whole, um, you know, and you've got Corey Lindsley as your starting centre. Um, and they gave um, Lucas Patrick a, an extension right at the end of last year as your kind of backup centre. Yeah. You know, backup centre, backup guard. It's it's kind of like where does where does this third guy fit in? Yeah. So even you know even if Lucas Patrick is you know maybe he's predominantly a, a guard and they wanted a specialist centre, but then you really stacked the guard positions then with you know with Billy Turner, with Elton Jenkins, with Lane Taylor still being there. Um, Lucas Patrick, Cole Madison, and now these guys, it's its like, my goodness. It is um, odd, isn't it, Pete? It, it is very odd, you know, in terms of building the jigsaw. Yeah. You're thinking, Jesus, you know, he's got he's got seven corner pieces, but there's only four corners. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's just like, well, you know, we're going to put all these, you know, they've got to go somewhere, haven't they? And, 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 I, and I know that, you know, there's going to be, you know, under the new CBA, there's going to be an extra offensive lineman active each week, but there's not going to be an extra five offensive linemen active each week. You know, you're not going, you're going with eight, you know, each, each game 
game day, it does make you still believe that that there's a possibility that that Lane Taylor's moved on in in the in the near future. That that it, that's the only thing I think can it kind of lessens the leverage though, piece. You know where we've so many old linemen. You know we've basically it's it's like a clown car. They're just falling off the but, back of the but, thing. Both when we're trying to get into training camp, you know. So like when we're looking at this, does it lessen the trade value of Lane Taylor? Because it's like we have so many anyway. It it maybe it maybe it does, but they may they may be viewing the fact that they don't think he's got a lot of trade value anyway. Yeah. For for a guy that's you know his cap numbers four million or whatever whatever it is that kind of area in the last year of his contract, the guy is no longer a starter. I, I don't imagine that he's got that much trade value anyway. So it may it may have been a case of seeing let's you know we're going to hang on to him and see how this draft pans out. And if we end up with a bunch of guys in that area, then we're going to we're going to start making some phone calls. Maybe should Lindsley be worried? I mean, is he on the chopping block here with the likes of Lucas Patrick, and then you have Jake Hansen coming in? I mean, could he be a guy that we? So on, only if um, there's the potential for them to make a move. So 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 if if in their minds there's a wide receiver out there, for example, OBJ, yeah, okay, well, no, yeah, I didn't yeah, yeah. Use, I didn't want to use that, name. <laughs> but, but okay, but yeah, 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 if, yeah, straight swap, yeah. If no, well, it's 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 partly that, but it's also partly freeing up that salary cap space to be able yeah. to, and I guess it's mainly freeing up that carrot salary cap space to be able to to fit a guy at let's say ten million a year in there, and to be, and the only way they can do that would be to move on a Corey Lindsley, yeah. Which I'm not suggesting that they're going to, by the way, but that would be your kind of possible thinking. Yeah, it's that that side really intrigues me. The sort of the Bakhtiari, the Lindsley, the the contracts that are coming up on the O line, and the fact that they've stacked up on them. I just, you know, and then how many of them are actually going to see the field or sort of valuable snaps for them to think that they slot someone in. We've seen that before in the past, right? I mean, I know we sort of spoke about it ad nauseum with uh, TJ Lang and Josh Sitton, and then Elton Jenkins, how he hit the ground running and effectively, you know, gave the two fingers to Lane Taylor, um, not figuratively because he's such a nice guy. Um, and but you know that he came in, and you're kind of thinking, you know, is it easy to slot these guys in that the Packers just end up hitting gold if they got some like you know magic goose egg when it comes to selecting old linemen to be able to plug them in and play um who knows everyone put it down to camping for years but who knows but anyway that's probably a conversation for a different day round seven if we can look into this Vernon Scott um safety TCU um Andy anything to talk about these picks you know because I guess we can couple him with the defensive end Jonathan Garvin here I mean is this adding value at this stage or just sort of camp bodies yeah from my perspective polar opposite so Vernon Scott um he'd arranged a visit to Green Bay hadn't he but it, yeah. obviously that got curtailed by the uh, coronavirus uh, and then after that I knew absolutely nothing about the guy so he, he was on the radar because he they'd arranged a visit. So all those guys that, that sort of do that, you, you put it on the radar for that reason. But I didn't know anything about him whatsoever. I was too busy looking out for the, the Jerry Sneed who went to Kansas City in the fourth round. At pick 32, which tipped me over the edge, knowing that we'd give up our fourth round pick. <laughs> um, so, um, and they did the same last year, didn't they? they took one Thornhill last year, didn't they, Peter? Uh, and, and so they've got good taste in safeties. So um, at that point, I'd lost the will to live, I think. Um, but no, Vernon Scott, I knew nothing about. Jonathan Garvin, is the other end of the spectrum uh, for a 20 year old guy um, I really like him it's probably about I don't know it's probably about 20% of his plays last year that I watched he plays like a, a top 60 player for me um, I like his size I like his speed he's got a real um, a presence off the edge so um, it, it goes a long way when I say probably the 7th and final pick of the draft was my favourite 
Uh, <laughs> I, I, re- I really like him, and I think he'll be the fourth um, rusher on our team. I think. Yeah. Um, if, if he's not, I think he definitely makes a practice squad. But I think he's got a future. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I think you know, barring an unforeseen circumstance or, or, or another pickup that we, we just don't know about, I think Garvin makes this team because I think he's better than where he went where he went in the draft, and he absolutely fits the. Again, you know the physical mould that, that of of the Zadaria Smith, the Preston Smith, the Reshan Gary. This guy's six four, two sixty three. So so he's 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 too small to play permanently on the line, but he fits absolutely the physical mould of 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 those guys. So absolutely no reason why why as Andy said that this isn't your fourth edge player, if you if if you will. Um, and I, I think you know I think he's a productive player. Rushes the pass, really good pass rusher. Doesn't have all of the numbers that some of the guys going earlier in the draft do. But if yeah. he did, then he'd be going earlier in the draft, you know. Um, but no, I, I think I think excellent, excellent athlete. Um, I think nearly nine rad score. So yeah, really like that pick. The pick before that, Vernon Scott, it, it even had me scrambling through my database, Steve, to try and find him. <laughs> um, Control so F, I, Vernon. No, uh, there he is. Yeah, uh, yeah, I did. I did find him. Unfortunately, I found him as the 725th player on my board, <laughs> um, uh, and that was the 79th safety. And right. I thought, well, maybe 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 it's just me. So um, somebody then tweeted that 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 Dame Bruglu does the athletic board. They had him as their he had him as his 61st safety. Yeah. So he's right down in those deep deep regions um so you have to believe there's a guy that somehow or other there's something they see in him that that we've not seen um um and it may just be a complete punt punt on him you know it, it's at this stage at this stage of the draft you're pulling guys out of thin air almost um so he's this year's kid or holman for me isn't he because last year was yeah. a pretty similar story wasn't it it was like who where you know why <laughs> uh, and I'm at that stage again, and that—that's that, the other bit that concerns me, isn't it? That all right, Garvin, I'm gonna—I'm quite excited by him, but this sort of later round, almost sort of like scattergun approach, is not consistent with the top GMs for me, and it's a worry. You know, you know, you've you've often alluded to the the Donald Driver picks and the the, the picks at the, the Aaron Jones in the fifth round and all that sort of stuff. Mm. You absolutely have to find the gems hidden, don't you? Um, and people talk, say it's always oh, a lottery and all that. It's only a lottery if you make it a lottery. You can narrow down your chances and make them a lot better if the if the if the work from the scouts is solid and the information is solid and yeah. you can unearth those players. And, and I just I don't know. We we I, don't know, do we? We don't know anything. But that you know for me is a bit of a. a I mean, one. yeah. I mean, the thing that worries me is that is the guy's four-year career. I think he started ten or it might have been twelve games across that college career, and 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 that as much as anything gives me an indication if he couldn't break through say in his junior year at, T- at TCU to start a few games then he would have to have had an exceptional senior season which he didn't have to, to kind of get some kind of draft recognition so it's I don't know it's 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 strange but again this is one where we really have to trust that they've seen something that nobody else has seen this is the hipster pick at a draft this is where you know when you're in college and they go let's do an icebreaker and they go what's your favorite song and someone would say 
I like one I wrote myself, you know, it's just about to long, and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, cool, can't pick you two or Snow Patrol like everybody else, yeah, I have to pick the other one, nice handlebar moustache, see ya, so that seems like this one, yeah, but it seems like from, um, and again, what the one, like, if you lads don't know him, I certainly don't know him, but Rob Domofsky's write-up of him is, is that he played both safety positions and also a cornerback, so maybe it's something to do with that, that we're like, oh, we'll just pick him because we can slot him in somewhere, but special teamer, who knows if he even makes the team, Um, you know, likely won't if no one knows him, it's just weird, I find that Jonathan Garvin was on your lad's um, radar, but then this guy sort of came before him, which is just pure out for me. But that said, right, we cannot forget, and this is this usually is the bread and butter stuff for the Packers um, under Ted Thompson was the undrafted uh, players. So out of those um, groupings, did we hit on some potential gems? And again, it's impossible to know, but is there any sort of known names that you lads went, oh, that's pretty shrewd with these undrafted fellas? I have one. That yeah. was it. Um, Will Sunderland from Troy. Yeah. So, guy who's had a bit of a checkered past. Um, I was picking up a podcast sort of weeks before the, the draft and you, they were talking about potential sleepers uh, and somebody happened to mention him so I thought, oh, I'll go and have a look at this guy. Um, he's a cornerback. Um, he can play nickelback. Um, it, it was, I think it was Oklahoma he's originally out of, to be honest, and then he had some, some misdemeanors and ended up transferring. But I like him. So, I think in, in terms of our current needs, he He's a potential to watch out for. So yeah, he'd be my number one uh, favorite for me on Justin Cut right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm happy with that. And then the guy that that I'm going to pick is simply because we mentioned him on the podcast as kind of a complete under the radar guy, um, Mark Antoine Decoy out of Canada. He ran 4.35 in his in his pro day. We picked him out on the on the defensive pod as kind of a guy to look out for. Um, we didn't put him in our rankings because there was no film or hardly any film of him. So it wasn't fair to, you know, kind of slot him in there. Where that would be complete, complete guesswork. But yeah, I was pleased when Andy tweeted over to me late last night that the Packers had signed him as one of their first undrafted free agents. Some so. take that, Peter, by the way. That is like <laughs> picking the Grand National winner at 50 to 1. That is, that is <laughs> an, unreal, an unreal shot. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, between us, we've got a couple of guys there, Steve. That yeah, they've got they've got a chance. We've got yeah. QB as well. That was interesting. He's he's sort of tweeting away there. He's over the moon. Become the backers. <laughs> oh, there you go. Look at yeah. Has he done that thing? Have you seen Jalen Hurts put out like, "Oh, I'm coming for your job, Wentz," and you're like, "Oh, yeah, maybe not the best way to sort of ice break to say you know you're going to take their livelihood and their all of their money away from the family." But that's fine. Uh, but yeah. one of the things I think the overarching thing for me in this draft, lads, is that yes, it was very surprising. From a guy who hates mock drafts, it was like I was licking me chops because I was kind of looking at this and go, "Well, here's my point. This is my exact example as to why yeah. mock drafts can be a lot of shy for some people, some fun." for other people whatever right but for me this draft was all about potentially getting their future in the first pick I'm okay with it AJ Dillon uh, a reach but again he's the t- you know prototypical Matt LaFleur guy uh, bruising back very excited by his highlights the third round it kind of got a bit awry no fourth round and then from there on out uh, as you said Andy uh, some good picks some sort of scatty picks uh, they and again this thing I, I saw someone say oh well the Packers at that stage just got stubborn and said that they just weren't going to bother going for wide receiver I was like oh yeah they got highly emotional and decided to screw everybody <laughs> you know what I mean like oh I'm not going to listen to Twitter I'll show them I was like oh give me a break oh, I, I, yeah no and, and I think it's really I think it's really important point that you have to the, 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 we have to understand that by the time you're getting to 5th and 6th and 7th round picks 
There's a reason those guys are in the fifth and sixth and seventh round or undrafted free agents. And, you know, let's just not take a wide receiver because that's what we've all gone into the draft saying we want. Yeah, we wanted one in the first or second round. Yeah. I don't yeah. want an, I don't want another fifth round guy. That For the sake looked, of it. Yeah, yeah, that looks like um, Kumro, that looks like MVS, that looks like ESB, that looks like all the guys we've already got. Yeah, because now I've got I've got eight guys on the roster today. I've got Reggie Begleton. I've got Malik Taylor. So you're going to give me another guy that just fits into that mix. And that's what that, he that's, said. That's, yeah. That to me is point, absolutely pointless to me. And Gudekun said that too. Now again, Andy, like you say, it's not to sort of, and I'm not saying that, oh yeah, Gudekun's right. You know, the wide receivers that we have, this is fine. But that's what Gudekun thinks, obviously. And he said that. He said that when it got to that state, I think the draft got away from him, to be honest. He went quarterback and then he said, oh no, and then we need AJ Dillon because he's going to fit and he might not be there. And then he went, oh, well, I need to go this guy because we really like him. And then no fourth round. And then, oh, I'll just go for this, you know, and I kind of no, got... No, I totally agree. I think he was caught twice, wasn't he? I think, yeah. I think he's misread, misread the situation for me. I think when the Eagles and the uh, Vikings took wide receivers on concurrent picks, you know, with Rager and Jefferson, we were left high and dry in the first round and, and plan B was the QB that they were most in love with. Um, and that's fine. Um, but I think round two, they were sitting there at 62, expecting one of those wide receivers that they had probably a high grade on to fall. Yeah. And that simply was never going to happen. And that's the bit where I think he misread the situation. Yeah. And that's where the board got away from him because they took the best player available on their board, which would have been Dylan. And then obviously it sort of snowballed and we've ended up taking a, um, you know, a H back in round three. How many other teams even run the H back offense, Peter? You know, probably know better than me. You know, to, it's a limited number. Um, with a limited market, so I, that's the bit where it got away from him. Uh, the, the average player grade for me is is a strong one. You know, mm. it's a strong one across the board. It would be a, you know B plus whatever. Uh, the performance of the GM during the draft in terms of gaining value, value for picks, and, and picking up where we most needed players is a, is a poor one. That's that's the difference, and that's the piece the piece that people need to understand, don't they? We can't criticise the players, and on paper for me they're a strong. It's a strong crop of player. It's just the value that he's got for his money has been poor, in my opinion. Yeah. He could have got more for Albuk, and Peter probably agrees. I, I, I agree 110, percent and I, and I, like we said, we don't know what opportunities were there, but I, I would have been absolutely far more aggressive in, in round in round two. I would have done every, and they may have done, but I would have been absolutely far more aggressive about getting back up to the to the top to the top of round two. And get and getting one of those one of those wide receivers, and then your draft looks completely different, as Andy as Andy said right at the beginning of this. It it it's that it's that mixed mixed feeling because they were quite aggressive, if you like, in taking the players that they thought were the right players to fit the system. Yeah. You know, they weren't timid in any way there, but they weren't aggressive in managing the draft board. Yeah, no. you know, and and, and in fact, I thought. <laughs> It just, it just, it felt bad as we went along, and just because, because they, because, because they weren't making those moves. They, they, you know, they had a lot of draft capital at the end of the draft, and that doesn't, that gives you a bit, but it doesn't give you great amounts. But I, I'm a great believer. If there's a guy there at the top of the second who is first round value, then I'll use next year's first rounder to get him, um, because I might, you know, I might be stuck at pick 28 next year, and there might not be a guy I want anyway. So. I might as well get him now. Um, I think I think it was compounded by watching teams like the Ravens and the 49ers who, who were picking in and around us absolutely monopolise the board. 
it, it, it was pretty much like we were being schooled. You know, John Lynch is a you know third year GM, and he was having the time of his life, wasn't he? You know, <laughs> well, he, he, well, he has. You know, yeah. he's, he's you know, you look at what they've added to their NFC Championship team as opposed to what we've done. And you, I know which side of the fence I'd be sitting on uh, in terms of which team's got better and which team has potentially not moved a, a whole lot this off season. And you have to remember that it's it's the off season. It's not just about the draft, is it? It's about yeah. the full package. Uh, and so there's still time to go. So we're not we're not at week one, and I and I get that, and I'm sure that um, you know I think he'll he'll have to go out and add some names now. Now they've sort of taken time to to recoup and, and have a look at where they've got to. But um, at the minute, yeah, I mean, look at the Ravens; they were just it was stunning, you know, the, the couple of pairs that they've picked up on paper. So yeah, I think Gooty's performance for me it, it did get away from him, and I think he was he was poor in terms of value. But the actual players that we've added, um, there's, there's reason for optimism there. Yeah, and uh, even the quote from Gudekunst, he said that he tried earlier on to get a receiver. And as it went on, he didn't think there was anybody who could make an impact on the roster, which is true because a first year receiver, as we've said. But like the players that we've mentioned, I mean, EQ, um, you know, Alan Lazard, MVS, all of these guys, um, you know, sort of similar. But why get another guy and just, just throw him in um, with the same? Yeah. Um, he sounded a little bit down to me as well. I know he, he, yeah. he's, a, he's a good guy with the presses. He's, um, you know, he's a good talker. I, if you, if you sort of, for me, just sounded like it was like, ah, what if? It sounded a bit sort of like, it, you know, just as we've described, really. Yeah, um, certainly for me, I think the narrative was is that, as you say, uh, some some good players in there, um, gone too early, not great for value. I'm excited about the ones that he does have and the Jordan Love pick. I'm not so down on it. I'm not also so devastated by the wide receiver. Not because he didn't take one and not because I don't think we need one, but I understand that it got away from him and at that stage he would have been just picking for a pick's sake and then he would have been in, you know, lashing in a wide receiver in the mix that wouldn't have really sort of stood out. So I think, yeah, that's why it went. Um, so I guess before we sign off, has anybody got any other uh, final words to say about the draft? Yeah, just just as a general point, just you know, I, I've been back and looked at our big board and that and that kind of thing, and um, actually reasonably reasonably accurate. You know, you look at the top fifteen picks of the draft. We got we got you know fourteen of our top fifteen went in the in the fifteen. You know, in that top fifteen, and the one we didn't get was the sixteenth on our board, C.J. Henderson. So, so that was pretty good. Um, we got forty two of the top fifty and eighty five of the top hundred. So it's so it was. It was pretty accurate as mm. as you can be, you know, really when when a lot of it is guesswork because you don't know all the medical stuff and the character concerns that the teams do know. Yeah. Um, so from that perspective, it was good. I think the so overarching, we we were we were pretty close. The, the, it 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 was just very difficult with the with the Packers, you know, and Josh Jones unexpectedly dropping down the board, you know, because we, we certainly I'd been high on Josh Jones and nobody to this day yet has explained why he dropped to the third round. Um, Zach Bourne, Zach Bond dropping down the board a bit. So there was the sort of Christian Fulton. So there was, you know, a few players that dropped down for ver- for various reasons, but um, which I think just made it very difficult in terms of trying to predict the Packers picks along with we weren't really aware going into it that they were taking this almost about turn around the type of offense that they were they were going to run yeah um so i think that made it made it doubly difficult but yeah generally speaking it went pretty much as from a, from a overall perspective pretty much as we could have expected the draft the draft to go 
Yeah, um, yeah, another excellent um, run-up, I have to say, lads. The podcasts were fantastic fun, uh, very informative. Um, you know, you just hit on the money again on, on some stuff on the draft guide again. Uh, absolutely fantastic resource and something that can certainly be sort of, you know, gone back on um, as we progress uh, into the season and sort of keep an eye on some of the lads. But again, I have to thank Bodia. Um, absolutely great stuff. Um, this podcast as well has been quite a measured approach and there hasn't been any toys out of the pram. There hasn't been any F-bombs apart from the ones that I'm going to edit out. Um, and uh, yeah, we've all been very, <laughs> very uh, level-headed and well-behaved as we always are. But anyway, from myself, uh, from the two draft gurus, we have Andy Davies at Pooley Shrew and um, at Peter Jones at ITH. I'll give the boys a follow. And of course, follow me at NFL. And there will be another 10-minute Tuesday coming out on YouTube. So go to youtube.com forward slash UK Packers and follow us all on the social media. You know where to find us anyway. Um, so I guess that's it uh, for this week. And I hope you all enjoyed it. And we'll be back next week for a bit more. Until then, go Pack Go.